was a mistake. Until his 11th birthday, when everything changes. When he finds out that he has been marked from birth as a powerful wizard and is enrolled in the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. At Hogwarts, everybody knows Harry's name. Everybody knows his story. Everybody knows his gifts and his calling. At Hogwarts, this awkward orphan who never felt like he belonged finds his identity, finds his community, finds a place where he belongs, where he is known, where he is loved. The Harry Potter books were written by J.K. Rowling, who, it turned out, after the book series were published, uh, was an Anglican Christian, who, as a single mother in the 80s, struggled with her own sense of belonging and identity. Belonging and identity are fundamental building blocks of faith. And we can see this reflected in the Harry Potter series, strongly influenced by Rowling's faith. The need to belong, the need to be known, to be loved, to be heard, to be supported and encouraged. We are hardwired to live and learn from others to have our identity shaped by the story of a community, the story of a people, a story that shows us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And scripture, of course, is filled with stories of identity and belonging, of events that tell the story of God and his people. Ceremonies and rituals that help God's people remember who they are and whose they are. One of these powerful stories comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus in the Hebrew scriptures, where God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. And I know I talked about the Exodus last time too, but this time it's a different story about the Exodus. The story of the Passover. As the people of God are preparing to leave Egypt, God instructs them, each household, to take a lamb without blemish and prepare a feast with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, to eat it standing with their walking sticks in their hands and their cloaks tucked into their belts ready to go at any moment. This meal became the Passover, a meal celebrated by Jewish people to this day to commemorate and remember God's grace to his people in delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Year after year, the people of Israel celebrate this meal to pass from one generation to the next the story of God's faithfulness. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean, scripture says, then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, 
who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down our enemies. The Passover meal reminds God's people of who they are and whose they are. Who God is and what God has done for them. It is a meal of identity, a meal of belonging. And it is at this special meal of identity and belonging that our Lord Jesus Christ institutes the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he took bread and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup and he told them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus takes this profound meal of identity and belonging and he transforms it into a seal of the new covenant established by his sacrifice on the cross. And in transforming this meal of identity, Jesus also transforms his people. A people not united by blood, by ethnic heritage, by national identity, but united by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. A people gathered together from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Sins forgiven by the sacrifice of Christ. Lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to unite us together in one body. One family. The family of God. And all those whose lives have been transformed by Christ are to be welcomed to this table. The Catechism tells us that whoever is sorry for their sins, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and whoever desires to live holy lives in response to this amazing grace should come to the table of the Lord to receive the grace of God. Sinners, saved by grace, forgiven through Christ's sacrifice, transformed by the Spirit. All whose lives have been touched by the transforming power of Christ's death and resurrection are to be included in this sacrament. For we are all united together by the Spirit in one body. This is the table of communion where we are reconciled to God and to one another. Where we are united to God and to one another. We are included. We belong. We are known. We are loved. Our scripture reading for today.
from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians addresses an abuse in the celebration of the Lord's Supper in that church. The Corinthian church was plagued with divisions. That's why what Paul is saying there is sarcastic, because he's been talking all through this whole letter through the past 10 chapters about the divisions among them. And here he says, I hear that you have divisions among you. They were divided over which pastor taught the best. They were divided over how to deal with sin in their congregation. They were divided over how to respect the Jewish heritage of the Christian faith. They were divided over how to make sense of their physical bodies in a spiritual faith. But perhaps the saddest division takes place here in this story at the table of the Lord. By all appearances, the Christian community in Corinth was very diverse. Diverse in ethnicity, in gender, in age, in socioeconomic status, in religious background. Some of the Christians in Corinth were ethnically Jewish. Others were converts from pagan cultures, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Syrian. Some of them were rich and some of them were poor, young and old, male and female. But when it came to their worship gatherings, to the place where they celebrated the Lord's Supper, God's grace given to them at the table, the worst abuses happened across socioeconomic lines. In the ancient world, the Roman Empire didn't have a day of rest, a communal day of rest. People didn't have Sundays off. There were no weekends. So Christians would meet for worship at night. Start times were flexible. They'd really get going when everybody showed up. And it could go quite late. And you see this in stories in Acts about people falling asleep during church services. There's actually stories about people falling asleep during church in the Bible, believe it or not. But what it looks like was happening at this church in Corinth was that the wealthy members of the church who could afford to take time off during the day were meeting for worship and starting the celebration of the Lord's Supper before everybody could get there. Church gatherings probably took place in the home of a wealthy member. And since all the wealthy Christians probably lived in the same neighborhood and knew each other, they would get together like in the afternoon and start eating bread and drinking wine and celebrating together the good things that God had done for them. Hours before their brothers and sisters who worked were able to make it. By the time that the working Christians got out of work and made their way to the church gathering, their wealthy brothers and sisters had already eaten all the bread and drunk all the wine, and there was nothing left. They had not waited for their brothers and sisters. And by not waiting, they had failed, Paul says, to discern the body of Christ. They had failed to live out the unity that this table proclaims. They had failed to be the community 
that communion creates. This isn't a wrong theological teaching that the, Christ, that the Corinthian Christians had. It's not like they were saying wealthy Christians are better than poor Christians. Or that people who can take time off during the day are more worthy of God's grace than people who can't. But this situation in Corinth reminds us of a powerful truth. That what we do communicates far more than what we say. The Corinthians may have said that they were a community formed and shaped by God's grace, but they lived in a way that privileged the wealthy. The Corinthians may have said that all people are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, but they lived in a way that dishonored the poor by holding worship services when poor people couldn't come. The Corinthians may have said that they were all united in one body in Christ, but they lived in a way that excluded those who were poor, who were sick, who were suffering. And it makes us wonder, in the ways that we practice our faith, what walls of division do we set up? by our behavior that compromise our witness as God's redeemed people? What barriers do we put in, in place that prevent people from coming to receive God's grace? In what ways do we fail to recognize the body of Christ? In what ways does our life together Communicate who is in and who is out of God's grace. In what ways do our communion practices communicate who is a true believer and who is not? Who should come to the table? The catechism asks. All who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. But who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ. And who desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Paul calls the church in Corinth to examine themselves, to examine their behavior, their practices, their life together. Paul calls every member of the church in Corinth to self-examination. Paul calls the church members to wait for each other. To examine themselves. To discern the body of Christ. 
to bear with one another in love. Are you free in the afternoon to gather together for worship? Don't go on ahead to the Lord's Supper without your brothers and sisters who can't make it until later on. Use the time to pray, to confess your sins, to reflect on the ways in which your life and practice fall short of what God has called you to do and to be together as God's people. Wait for each other. And once you are all together as one body, united in Christ, then come to the table and receive God's grace together. Together. Come together because you are united in Christ. Come together because you are one body in Christ. Come together because God has called you into a new family. Brothers and sisters with Christ and heirs to the kingdom of God. Come together to be filled with God's love and filled with that love, love one another. Come and receive the grace of God that binds us all together. This grace that sustains our faith together until Christ comes again and all things are made new and we eat and drink together at the wedding feast of the Lamb together with all the people of God. Together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Lord our God, for the gifts of your grace, we thank you. For the example of your people through all times and places, we thank you. We thank you that we may learn from our ancestors in the faith, both what they did right and what they didn't always do so well. And we pray that by your grace, we might better reflect the communion which you so freely give through Christ our Lord.